0: fellow longtime digital parenting writer since 2005. You may know her from Cool Mom Picks or her former parenting blog, Motherhood Uncensored. She's the co-host of the award-winning podcast Spawned with Kristen and Liz, a prolific freelance writer, author, and mom of four. Kristen's debut novel, A Thousand Miles to Graceland, releases next week, and I am thrilled for you all to get to know her today. Welcome, Kristen!
1: Christine, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this.
0: I am so excited about the angle we're having on this conversation. I'm just excited to talk to you as we discussed briefly before going live live. Um, It's just been a while since we've been able to connect directly with our voices in each other's ears. So this is just a treat for me. It's a little bit of self-care, actually.
1: Yes, I totally agree with you. And like I said, it's like we're, we're, we are actually, it's not like we are actually talking to one another because I'll be honest, when I watch your Instagram stories, I do feel like you're talking to me, even though I know you're talking to the masses. (laughs) I do. I I really feel like that. And I, and I'm sure when you record them, you have, you know, actual people in mind when you're saying it. So, but now we get to talk directly to each other, but also to your wonderful audience too.
0: It's such a treat. So thank you for carving out time, you know, especially during book launch mode. It's, there's a lot going on. So let's jump right in. This conversation is about healing through expression. And so I would love to start by talking about how expression can come in so many forms, not just writing. That, of course, is an outlet for you. You were, we have a lot of similarities. I like to joke that we were related, but we're not related <laughs> exactly, you know, as former sciencey people, psychology people. You were a creative arts therapist in a previous life, so can you issue some wisdom about why it is so transformative to find a form of creative expression and some examples of what that could look like outside of writing?
1: Oh, absolutely. I am happy to hearken back to my music therapy days. (laughs) And I know we both have so much in common. Of course, the the lovely always getting confused with each other, which we will probably get into later as being Asian-Americans. But, you know, as a music therapist, it was my job to find ways for patients and clients. And again, you know, I worked specifically with kids on the spectrum, but music therapy can be used uh, for people who have experienced traumatic brain injury or strokes or are having issues with stress, um, mental health issues. So there are a variety of ways that music in particular can be used to express ourselves. And, and I, I talk most about that because I know it resonates with you and I know that in some ways music is it it, it can be the easiest I think of the creative arts and you know Mm -hmm. I, I know art therapy is out there dance therapy I feel like some people have a lot of pressure with music what's so great is that expression can just come by listening to music or by sharing a song so you don't actually have to play anything. And I suppose you could say the same with dance and art, right? You could look at art or you could watch dance, right? But I think music in particular, I find that even just listening to it without any, you know, training or anything can really be something that can allow you to say things or express things that words could not do. And that's why I think creative arts in themselves are so powerful, because if we don't have the words they can express whatever we're feeling, or in some mm-hmm. ways, things that we don't even know we're feeling to other people, or just as a way to get it out of ourselves, get it out of our heads and out of our bodies.
0: I love that framing. And also you pointing out that listening is such a important part of the process and is an actual experience. I think that's so important. And it is occurring to me that... so you returned to dance actually later, like as an adult, correct? I I I feel like I remember an article about it. I remember photos. And um, this is just making me want to mention to you, because at the time we're recording this, you don't know this yet, but the episode the week before yours uh, from last week is actually an interview with the esteemed Rachel Coe, my mother. And we talk about creativity across the lifespan and how important that is. So that I immediately thought of first, I'm so excited that I have back-to-back Asian guests in, in a week like that's never <laughs> yes. happened before. Very yes. very amazing. but also how you have continued to evolve um, you know your creative expression over time and we'll talk a bit more about that, but I just wanted to flag that because I love you know the image of you engaging in music, you engaging in dance and now writing. it's just it's really cool.
1: Yes. And I think what's so wonderful is that all of those processes are really the joy is in the process. Right. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, if, at least for me, especially with dance as I've gotten older, right. It is certainly in the process and not in the <laughs> final product. I was like, oh, yep. okay. My knees are hurting. Like the splits ain't happening anymore. And so, really, it forces us to find the joy in the journey. Right, and in the process, which in in some ways is what happens in my book, A Thousand mm-hmm. Miles to Graceland, because it is a, it, it is actual it is an actual journey. It's a road trip.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Well, speaking of process, there's another thing that's really important in big picture that I want to cover that is related to this conversation, both in terms of healing and also life in general, and especially in our world of highlight reels. You have referred to this novel. A Thousand Miles to Graceland, your debut novel, as 10 years in the making. So can you broadly walk us through the arc of that 10 years, you know, really high level, but specifically, I'm curious about if there were key barriers, logistical, emotional, what have you, that came up during the process and how you got through them.
1: I joke, but it's not even really a joke, that this book, is the longest relationship (laughs)
0: I've had with
1: anything other than my children and my own parents. (laughs) Because it is truly, it's been that long. I went back and looked at the date that I started the Google Doc. Thank goodness for Google Docs. And it was 2012. And I actually think that may have been that may have been like a second iteration, right? Like I may have started it in notes or some other, you know, the file system and then brought right. it over to Google Docs. So I started this originally with the idea of my character, Laura Lynn, who is the mother of my protagonist, Grace Johnson. So Laura Lynn is this Chinese-American woman, and she's from El Paso, Texas. And excuse my te- my terrible Southern attempt at a Southern accent. And she's obsessed with Elvis, And she wears crazy wigs and um, like leopard print and sequins. And she is just everything that embodies the word of calling someone a character. And she is who I came up with first. And then very quickly thereafter, it was this idea of going on a road trip to see Graceland and that being the catalyst for healing a relationship. Really, that was like Mm. what it was all about. And. And whether or not I was in the moment of my uh, of trying to figure out my own relationship with my own mother, which this is very much, you know, sort of a parallel experience for me, a fraught relationship with my own mother, writing a book about a fraught relationship between a mother and a daughter. That's totally there is synchronicity there. Mm -hmm. And so. I started writing it. I am not, I was not, I still say it. I can't even believe I was just about to say I am not a fiction writer, Christine. Isn't that funny? (laughs) (laughs) We, old narratives die hard. (laughs) They do die hard. You know, I have traditionally written parenting essays Mm -hmm. and I've written nonfiction. And for the longest time at the beginning, I just kept trying to figure out how to write it. Instead of just writing it, I was like, well, can someone help me, please? I have all these friends who are fiction writers. And I'm like, do you do an outline? Do you do a plot? And I spent so much time worrying that I wasn't doing it right instead of just doing it. And so there came a point after, you know, rolling it around for like four or five years where I was just I was I did some life coaching and I was just like, I really want to finish this. I just want to finish it. That's all I want. I really felt strongly about it. Uh I felt like it was a good story. So I took a couple of classes at Gotham Writers Workshop online.
0: Uh,
1: uh And then I was like, I did it. I finished it. This is the best thing ever. Everyone's going to love it. But, you know, maybe I'll get a developmental editor just to kind of, you know, make me feel better about myself. Most expensive, you know, uh, (laughs) (laughs) crimping or, you know what I mean, ruffling of feathers, if you will. And she sent it back and said, you're a lovely writer. But there's no story here. Oh my at goodness! All. And I was like, that I could have paid all that money <laughs> to uh-huh. do something else. I was angry. Uh-huh. I was. I remember being angry. I remember thinking, "What are you talking about? Like, there there's so many cool things, and you know, they go on all these stops, and it's uh-huh. that's plot. That's not story. And so at that point, I set it aside. I put it away for almost eight months. Uh-huh. I was like forget it. This is dumb. What am I doing? And as I did that, that was the point where I started thinking about all of her suggestions. Right. And and for folks who are like, who's a developmental editor? My developmental editor was someone who had worked in professional uh, at publishing houses, right, had bought fiction and so really knew what would sell. Right. That was her mm-hmm. job was to look at it and be like, here's how to make this marketable. So I really trusted her. She had a great reputation even though I was angry with her. And so over those eight months, I would kind of peek at it and I would be like, huh, therapy, maybe she needs to go to therapy. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, well, maybe this needs to happen. Well, that's a good idea. And I, I realized very slowly that she knew what she was talking about. And from that point on, where I was able to basically accept the, crit- the criticism and accept the help that I had asked for was at the point really was a turning point for me in being able to revise it finish it eventually get an agent and then uh in it, and then have it you know come out uh if you know at the end of january is an actual book that everyone will read
0: wow that's just amazing and i think it's such a great example about how i don't know criticism especially if you're somebody who is you know performance oriented and and used to getting things like nailing it like <laughs> like yes. the two of us kind yes. of are, yes. it's really hard. And it's such a powerful moment of transformation when you can accept what's happening and then say, okay, there's something to this. Like I had a couple of terrible, well, at the time I characterized them as terrible experiences with agents and I was really mad at them. And then I was like, you know what? They, there's something to what they said. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that's that's such a great moment and I really appreciate you sharing it. Okay, Kristen, I have a lot more questions for you, but we're going to take a quick break and be right back. As you know, I am all about micro improvements. And if you'd like to dedicate a little time each day to learn a language, I have a great solution for you. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app that offers 10-minute language lessons designed to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Materials are rooted in real-life situations, so you can learn important basics such as ordering food and asking for directions. Babbel offers personalized learning content, real-time feedback, tracking, and visualizations, and their speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. No matter what level you are looking for, casual, intense, or something in between, you can enjoy app lessons, podcasts, and live classes from the comfort of your home on your schedule. Here's a special limited-time deal for Edit Your Life listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for Edit Your Life listeners at babbel.com slash edit. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash edit. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash edit. Rules and restrictions may apply. Especially in this digital age, since we're well beyond handwritten journals and letters to convey history, the preservation of stories is so important, especially from the moms and mom figures in our lives. And if you've been looking for a way to collect those stories but aren't sure how to start, I have a recommendation for you. StoryWorth makes it easy. Every week, they email a loved one of your choosing a question prompt that you pick. For example, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? And what aspects of having children didn't turn out the way you expected? Your loved one responds to that email with a story of any length. You will receive copies of these emails as they are submitted. And after one year, StoryWorth compiles the stories and any photos provided into a keepsake book. A friend recently shared how moving it was that her mom gifted copies of her StoryWorth album to immediate family members, a genius idea for expanding the preservation and sharing of those stories to people in different households and generations. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years, StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash edit. That's storyworth.com slash edit to save $10 on your first purchase. Hello, friends. We are back with the amazing writer, Kristen Chase. So let's get into some feelings, Kristen. Let's do it. Um, I'm ready.
1: <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm all here. I got tissues. I'm good. Okay, good, good. <laughs>
0: So A Thousand Miles to Graceland is a story, as you mentioned, it's centered on the healing of a relationship, a mother-daughter relationship, and of course, only disclose what you wish. But how did writing this book help you make change in your own relationships, whether that was with family or friends?
1: So, you know, this book, writing this book really single-handedly changed how I interact with my own mother, and it, it really changed my life. And I did not expect it to at all. Um, you know, Grace, the main character, is similar to me in some ways. Laura Lynn is really not in terms of, you know, my mom is not obsessed with Elvis. Uh, <laughs> I've yes. seen pictures. She doesn't wear wigs as far as she I can know. She doesn't wear wigs. She doesn't wear sequins <laughs> most of the time. So there, there is some separation. And I think, quite honestly, being able to write this book as fiction and not as a memoir Mm -hmm. gave me the separation from my story where I could actually step outside it and see it and heal Mm -hmm. even better than it would have been had I written it myself about myself and my own mother that that is hard to do right there's so much vulnerability it doesn't feel safe and this felt safe for me now it is not a memoir there are some things that did actually happen in real life, you will never know what those are. <laughs> <laughs> I may or may not say which ones which things are real and which aren't. Um but there were some of the very difficult things in my childhood. They are in the book. Mm-hmm. And as I was doing the edits with my agent, there was a moment where I was like, "Why am I not talking to my own mom about this? I'm writing mm. about a woman who is trying to be more vulnerable with her own mother. And yet I am not doing that myself. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of courage, right? To say, you know what? I'm going to call my mom. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to find out why she did the things that she did that I don't understand Mm -hmm. or that I'm confused about that I'm actually writing about in the book. So why not have some legitimacy to this by talking to my own mother. And in doing that, I have to say that I was really able to have more empathy for my mom. I was able to have some tenderness and love for little Kristen, mm. right? And <sighs> you know, you know who who had a very difficult childhood and young adult life, right? And what's so interesting is that just I don't know, seven days ago. So like a week ago, my mom finally read the book. So my mom has never read this book. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was a little afraid, Christine. I was yep. a little afraid because this is like, you know, there's some real life in here. Yeah, it so scary. <laughs> it's, it's so scary. And and honestly, I say that the, one of the reasons why I wrote this is because I wanted to be able to write my own ending, an mm-hmm. ending that I don't yet have with my own mother. And I'm not sure if I will. And that's Okay because it's fiction versus reality. So, you know, so anyway, I spoke with her and it was pretty amazing. You did it. And at first she was like, oh, some, some really good writing there. And then she just sort of started talking about something else. And I was like, is that really all that's going to happen? Is that it? Yeah, But it? Okay? wait, but wait, yeah.
0: compliment from an Asian mom. That's still pretty important. <laughs> it
1: is, it is, it is. And then she came back around and you know, what was interesting What got her back around were the book club questions in the back of the book. Mm, So uh and what's interesting is that, like, I didn't I needed help writing those. Uh And so so but she was like, but what she kept saying was I found the end so interesting. And I'm like, what what's interesting about the end? Like, I'm trying to think, like, what was it about the end? But for her, the end were those questions. Oh, (laughs) At the back of the book, which I mean, like, the literal end was like yeah. those book club questions. And the question she asked me was, you know, the question in the book is, do you think that Laura Lynn should have left her abusive husband earlier, right? Because uh-huh. Grace always believed that she should. Uh-huh. And my mom asked me, do you think I should have left your father Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I guess we are having this conversation. Here we are. We're doing it. Here we are. We're doing Mm -hmm. it. And, you know, I am so grateful that this book could be a catalyst for having this conversation. That's That's still painful. That's still not resolved. That may never be resolved. But it allowed me the opportunity to tell my mom Mm -hmm. something that I think all parents want to hear you know, at some point from their adult children, we hope is that, you know, I know it was hard for you, I know you did the best you could. Uh, let's move forward, right? Like and that's and and that took a lot of therapy <laughs> and writing this book to be able to say to my mom, right, that I didn't deserve what happened to me. I, I I am angry and sad about what happened, but I also understand what generational trauma looks like. I understand why you did what you did. And I don't hate you, and I'm not angry with you now. Let's move forward. And what does that look like?
0: Yikes! Okay, I I only say yikes because I am kind of sticking my finger. So listeners know what's happening on this end of the mic. I'm kind of sticking my finger in my eye to keep the keep for keep it from leaking. Oh, oh. <laughs> I got a little yes. teary when you were yes. saying that. I mean, yeah, it is so so powerful and incredible. Like how that healing can happen so many years after, like. I think it, mm-hmm. it's so hopeful and it really makes me feel like let's not diminish the fact that some relationships will be irreparable, you know, that that's of course. just how it is sometimes. Mm-hmm. But if you have the opportunity and both parties are receptive, like what a what a moment. It's incredible. My next question is actually I want to just dig a little bit more into this, um, like a slightly different lens, but I think a big part of what we are doing as humans. In fact, I was doing it as recently as last week or over the holidays, but is busting the narrative on old patterns and history in our relationships. Meaning we all talk about how important it is that we change over time. We evolve all that stuff and we accept that. And that's a good thing. And so do the other people in our lives, which I think can be very difficult to remember when we're for example, mired in frustration with people because of old patterns in history. So, tell me what writing this book, we've touched on it a bit here, but what did it teach you specifically about forgiveness and reconciliation, perhaps what you needed to let go of?
1: Oh my goodness, so much. So, so much. You know, a friend of mine who is actually a creative arts therapist, she's an art therapist, talks a lot about compassionate detachment which I think is in some ways another way of saying forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not exactly the same, but I think that to me, the end goal in relationships that are fraught and difficult, right? That I know that perhaps the other party may not be able to have the same insight or have the same understanding of the situation or even the same empathy for me as i have for them right but it's still important to me and i still want it to be a part of my life right it's it is being compassionate but also detached mm-hmm. which just means that you love that person you care about that person and you understand that they are giving all that they can give to you yeah and there is so much i don't want to say power because sometimes I you know power has such a a weird connotation right but it that is so powerful especially for those of us who have grown up in uh, abusive or neglectful or, you know, very challenging uh, childhoods or situations or even if you've come out of a difficult relationship, right, as my character did in, in some ways and I have in my own life, right, forgiveness for me is a little tricky because I do often think, too, it's connotated with religion, Um, And Mm -hmm. I have a difficult relationship with religion. So for me, saying that uh, or focusing on compassionate detachment helps me. And I think that that is something that I learned, you know, just from writing this and from talking with my mother and from being in therapy for a really, really, really long time. And I want to share something with you that as a former student of mine. Okay, we you know you were you were in in higher ed. I was in higher ed. This you know the synchronicities in our lives, Christine. It's ridiculous. We, it's, it's ridiculous, honestly, but, you know. <laughs> so so I was a graduate assistant in in in, in, in uh, music therapy at Michigan State University, and I'm still in touch with some of my undergraduate students. Right, mm-hmm. and now they're in they're in their 30s. I'm like, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. And we were trying to figure out. The name of of a client of mine that I when I moved out of the state, I passed on to her and we were talking and she was saying how, you know, she was being very kind. and, And, you know, she said I'm someone who inspires her. But she said the phrase silencing the voices of our family is important work. And I just want to let that sit for a minute, because Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you were you were kind of talking about that. We were talking about relationships and difficult relationships. And I think and in in, in particular, you were talking about old patterns. And I think so much of us, our old patterns were developed perhaps from negative situations in our childhood and growing Mm up. And so. That is so difficult, right, to silence those voices. But sometimes that's what we need to do. You know, my dad used to always call me a slob. He would call (gasps) me a slob. He would. And, like, I have teenagers. And, like, I kind of think all teenagers are slobs. Uh (laughs) Like, there are every now and then I run across one and I'm like, okay, you know, there's something about you. But for the most part. But I'll tell you what. I still hear that. I Uh still hear that. My dad passed away over 20 years ago. You know, like I left home right after college and never returned. And I still here and I'm actually super neat now. I mean, I was messy, but those are the kinds of things that are yes. so challenging that we need to say, you know, wait, no, 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 I'm not. No, I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I in a moment of humility, I think that's just such an incredible point. And in a moment of humility, I will share that also, I think that there's also the angle of and this is far beyond the scope of, I have more questions for you. So I will, I will try not to go d- too far down the rabbit hole, but that there's also the side of self-forgiveness and, you know, um, you know, maybe sort of briefly pausing and choosing not to say something, you know, if you feel like you're going to say something defensive or unnecessarily caustic, this, this is, this would have been me like last week. <laughs> so of course, I think it's yes. really, it's, it's, Humbling and powerful, all of this work. I guess that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so a couple of months ago, I recorded and shared a wonderful episode with our friend slash colleague, uh, Wendy Aarons, who had come out with a humor memoir. And it ultimately was about finding your confidence and voice as you age, which I just loved so much. And we talked about humor as a form of bravery. I'm curious if you can... Identify what helped you find the bravery to put yourself into this story, and then ultimately this story out into the world.
1: I love Wendy. Who doesn't love Wendy? I mean, she's how can you not?
0: And if you (laughs) if you don't like her and you you insult her, she will create some very funny barb in return. So
1: she will, or maybe an entire Twitter account to come back at you. (laughs) If you could be so lucky, you know what's interesting about Wendy and I, right? Like. This we're talking about really deep, emotional things about the book, but the book is actually funny. And it's it is interesting to say, you know, A Thousand Miles of Graceline, you see the cover and so many people have been like, oh, it's so cute because it is, you know, it's so <laughs> it adorable. Is it's adorable. It's it's purple and blue. And then people read it and they're like, I was very surprised. Right. Like, uh, you know, like they, they call it like it has a big heart. So but mm-hmm. but I, you know, I realize like for me like Wendy, I think putting myself out there with humor, right, I think was actually the hardest part for me, right? Being funny in public because I feel like people are so judgmental about the things they laugh at, Mm. right? It's like, uh, are people going to find me funny? I mean, actually, in 2020, I took a comedy class. I took a stand-up comedy class because I figured I'm stuck on Zoom. This is the safest way to take Mm -hmm. a comedy class Mm -hmm. and I'm going to do it. And I remember being so scared. I mean, more scared than I ever was doing anything else, playing violin in public, being on stage, any of those things, because I think being funny, right, people have very strong feelings about it. I think people can have empathy for your difficult story where they can be like, oh, that's sad or that's difficult. Right. But like when you put yourself out and you're like, I made a joke Uh and, and then people don't laugh at it. I think that to me is is the most difficult and the most uncomfortable. And so just in terms of doing that, right, taking the comedy class, which then really informed the way that I wrote my character, Grace, who's actually funny and sarcastic, Right. Like there's there's such a great I'm not going to spoil it, but there's one of my favorite lines that she has at the end of the book. That is, I think, one of the funniest things, Um, you know, so it's like you can make it through. You'll have tissues and then you will laugh. There will be times you laugh. Mm -hmm. But to me, it was always just like, you know, people don't care as much as you think they do, you know, like and that was what I told myself. Over and over again. Yeah. Just in, they just don't like you think that they care so much about like what you're wearing and what you're saying and the jokes that you're making and the stories you're telling. And like, they really don't. They really don't. So, is, are you going to let what you think people are going to say or do, right? And that's future tense because mm-hmm. then then we're like, we are psychics, which is, you know, hey, awesome. We can tell the future. You know, I talk to my kids like that all the time. I'm like, oh, you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Mm-hmm. You know, like kind of sarcastically, but a, really a way to sort of orient them to the fact that you only know what's going to happen right at this very second.
2: You and only so, you know,
1: you only know what you know. Right. You only know what you know. So are you going to let that stop you from Mm. potentially reaching people, from potentially doing something that could change your life because you think you know what someone else cares about? Like, if you knew that, then why aren't you playing the lottery and winning? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that is really what I try to say to myself when I am in situations where I am unsure where I don't know how it's going to go, where I may not be good at something, right? It's like, who matters? Uh I matter, right? Uh I matter. My kids matter. Not the other person, the random person that you're never going to see again. They don't matter. Their opinion doesn't matter. You matter.
0: That is just wonderful and beautiful and a great reminder to us all, Kristen. It's so good. It's so good. All right, Kristen, I have a couple more questions for you, but we're going to just take a quick break and we'll be right back. People often talk about the impact of things like stress, hormone fluctuations, and nutrition on skin, but did you know those things impact your hair too? If you've been dealing with hair thinning, you are not alone and Nutrafol is here to help. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. I appreciate that they offer formulas tailored to different life stages, such as postpartum and menopause, as well as different lifestyles, such as plant-based diets. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol Women's Hair Growth Supplement for six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering Edit Your Life listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping. When you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code EDIT, find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. That's Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com and use promo code EDIT. That's Nutrafol.com using promo code EDIT. Did you know that hyaluronic acid naturally occurs in our skin, but decreases gradually as we age, leading to thinner, drier skin? If you're looking for support hydrating your skin from the inside out, check out one of the tools in my hydration arsenal, Rituals Hyacera, which I take every morning. Rituals products are tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals, and Hyacera is clinically proven to reduce fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at Ritual.com slash edit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's Ritual.com slash edit for 25% off. Hello, friends. We are back with Kristen Chase. Kristen, I'm so excited about this next question. So I would be remiss if I didn't address representation. I would love to talk with you about this and hear how writing... Your book helped you process the many complicated feelings around being Asian American in the current climate and based on your own history. What do you have to say there? I'm sure it's a really short answer. (laughs) Yes, just one word.
1: (laughs) No, you know, here's an interesting factoid about this book. So I am mixed race, Chinese American. My dad is German and English. My mom is Chinese. She was born here. She's second generation American born. And I originally wrote this book with all the characters as white. Wow. That is really? how it started. Yes. Oh my and gosh. I, okay. and, and I, you know, and I, I want to talk a little bit about that because I was born in the seventies. My mom was born in the fifties. It wasn't, it wasn't. I don't want to say it's cool to be Asian now, but it really wasn't cool to be Asian in the '50s. Post World War II, uh-huh. um, it was. You know, it was. You speak Chinese at home, and then you go to school, and then you assimilate. You become American. Like that is how it is. And so, uh-huh. growing up, I was really disconnected from my Asianness. Uh-huh. My mom doesn't actually look really Asian. Uh, which is a comment that is fraught in itself. But what would happen is that I would we would just pass. Right. And so I would pass as white and my mom would would sometimes make Chinese food and we would visit my grandparents every year. We were not close to them because she was not close to them because of generational trauma and all those sorts of things. And so I was, for all intents and purposes, white.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it was a novelty. Asianness ness was a novelty. It was like, oh, she's so pretty. Oh, that's so cool. Like, she's but you're so tall. exotic. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, okay. That's my favorite one. <laughs> so when I started writing this book, I wrote them as I had seen the world and seen myself. And again, this was like 10 years ago. So I really oh, wasn't so as connected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To my, my Asian-ness. And it just never felt right. It never felt right. And actually, before I went to the developmental editor, I told her, I said, Listen, I'm not gonna do this now, but I want you to know that I think I'm going to change the characters and I'm going to make Grace like me. She's going to be mixed race. And I'm going to make Laurelyn like my mom, who's Chinese American. And when I did that, let me tell you, the story came to life. Mm. It really Uh did. Because when you read the story, right, it's kooky, it's fun. You know, Laura Lynn is wearing wigs and she's she's just full of life and doesn't give a crap, right? Like, it's, she's wonderful. But what you learn is how it was for her being married to a white um, army officer, mm-hmm. being Asian in the South, what it's like to look different, and how she, how the Elvis obsession Actually, kind of protected her from the pain she was experiencing about being different. And so, what happened was the Elvis obsession gave people something else to make fun of. Hmm. So, she wasn't mm-hmm. the weird Asian lady, she was the weird Elvis loving lady. Mm-hmm. And I never had that when I wrote the story to begin with. That mm-hmm. wasn't there at all. And it would never have been there. And I think it's so important because it really brings up so much of what many Asians experience in this country, right? And I also believe that it brought up a lot of issues about also the challenges not so much in this book I think about being mixed race, but I have to say that even just in the last couple of weeks I have been experiencing a bit of like an I don't want to say an identity crisis, right? It's like it's a identity crisis, but I was having a the the um the the very you should never do this ever, you should know better, Kristen, because you've been on the internet for almost 20 years argument on social media. Awesome. <laughs> like I usually don't, but there was um a white person who posted something about uh potato chips that were, I believe, Korean. Mm-hmm. And we Asians like some funky flavors, man. Yeah, like we like give a me s- yeah, yeah, you know. And so the the description was probably a poor translation, and it said something like "demon consomme," right? So it's like it's like you know, weird, right? Like uh-huh. it's like, oh, what's that? But the caption that this person put, right? And this is a person who's very prominent, very well known, has a large audience. Was like flavors chip flavors keep getting weirder and weirder oh boy and i was like "Eh." i was really nice i just said you know one person's weird is another person's delicious right as an asian person and i realized i was getting really mad at like his whiteness right i was Uh like it's white it's white people it's white people and then i was like wait a second i'm white what does that mean (laughs) (laughs) right like what does that mean I I am hating on a part of me, right? Mm -hmm. And I have for the longest time really, you know, in the last, I would say, few years writing this book in particular, been like super like Asian-American audiences. Yes, I belong. Asian-American Girl Club, wearing the shirts because I love them, because I've really immersed myself in Asian culture because I never got it. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you, last week when I was arguing about those potato chips, I had a moment of like, really belong. Mm. I don't belong with this guy, but I don't necessarily belong with all the people who have such strong ties to their Asian families who make traditional meals or who have families or or family members back in other countries. And, you know, this is like real time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is real time happening. So, you know, I think any way that authors, you know, and I speak specifically here, mixed race, but, you know, Asian American authors in particular, any opportunity for BIPOC authors to be able to tell our story and show what it looks like. And for me, it was so important for there to be. Yes, there are going to be issues of race and culture and ethnicity when you're when you have a Chinese American woman living in the South that's going to happen. But guess what? It's also just like Asian people fall in love. (laughs) <laughs> they take yep. road trips. Uh-huh. It's like we are doing regular things that everyone does. And it's so important for people to see that. And I just recently finished um, everything. I never told you the Celeste uh-huh. Ng book, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and that's a mixed race family. And that is the first time other than in my own book where I have read a powerful story, like a book, actually not even a powerful story. I'll take anything that represented a family with similar issues to my own. Uh-huh. And that's that 46. Uh-huh. I'm 46. Uh-huh. So that to me was so important was like we are Asian and we do things every day and we need people to see that. It uh-huh. can there can there are racial issues, of course, but also there's there is just everyday life things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay, Kristen, I feel like, uh, you know, this conversation could probably continue for another four or so hours, <laughs> but I know we both need to get to other things today. Anyway, um, let's close out with your next edit. So at the end of each show, I ask my guest to share your next edit. It's a really actionable tip that listeners can consider doing right away after they finish listening today. So in the context of our conversation, I would be curious to hear what your next edit is for this episode.
1: Well, Christine, I made this new thing up, I think. I've never seen it anywhere, and I think it's pretty awesome. I'm very excited about it. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. I am filled uh, with anticipation. uh, uh, Yes. Okay. So I don't know if you've seen this. You're a crafty person. I,
0: I imagine you may have seen. Have you seen the temperature blanket Have you seen that? I haven't, but I I will confess, I actually am going to make some curtains today. Who am I? Anyway, go on. Okay. So the temperature (laughs) blanket concept is that it is
1: sort of like journaling in a way, but instead of journaling, you're making a blanket, and it's based on the temperature every day. So you assign a color of yarn to the temperature so if it's like over 100 it's red if it's between 80 and 100 it's purple and then you crochet one line every day based on the weather and you end up with a temperature blanket is that not the coolest thing ever it's so cool does
0: sherry Gurok recently make one of these okay i will try to find that photo on the internet okay you need so
1: so in that vein right i want people to make what I would call me is temperature in quotes because I want it to be mood. Or I, want to, I, want it to be, I want it to be your own temperature, not the temperature outside. And I want you to do a mood playlist. And so what you can do Ooh. is every day, at the end of the day, find one song that captures the essence of your day, whether it's literal, right? <laughs> so it could just be like, oh, happy day. I had a good day. Oh, happy day. Right or I saw my mother and I'm gonna put mother mother like Tracy Bonham song or something and I want you to do that every day. So you know whether you use Apple Music or Spotify, whatever it is, it's so easy to make playlists these days. It's kind of like journaling, but I think how cool would it be to go back and listen? You can start you can start on the Lunar New Year, which is January 22nd. You know you could start February 1st. It doesn't matter when you start. But how cool is it? Think about you look back at your year, 365 some odd songs that captures your mood, your temperature, just maybe one thing that you did, one thing that you felt for the entire year. And it's a playlist that you have is okay. Come on. Is that, that not is the super thing ever? rad? Yeah. It's okay. super
0: rad. Very, very creative. I mean, it sounds like the sort of thing a former creative arts therapist would come up with, you know, perhaps, And also just so cool because in my first episode of the year on embracing micro goals, one of the things I talk about is developing some kind of end of day ritual. So this Mm -hmm. is definitely the coolest idea that I have come across for an end of day ritual. So thank you.
1: You're welcome. And you know what? What's so great about it is like, yes, I know journaling is hard for people. Yeah. Right. Like I'm a writer and I'm not a journaler. I just I, I just can't. I just cannot. So, you know, doing something like this where it's just like, oh, it's a song, by the way, it can just be a song that you liked, right? Like that's good enough. It's like, oh, I heard that song. I like it. That's my day. I just think it's super fun. So try it as a, it is a mood temperature playlist every day. You heard it here first. I I don't think anyone else has done it. So I'm just going to claim it,
0: Christine. I'm claiming it and I'll make an Instagram graphic and I think you'll be good. (laughs) Then we, then you definitely own it on the internet. Yes, Yes. Um, Kristen, this was such a joy. Thank you so much for giving me your time uh, in advance of your busy book time. And I really appreciate you. This has just been wonderful. You're my favorite. Thank you for having me, Christine. Oh my goodness, friends, go order Kristen's book, A Thousand Miles to Graceland. And meanwhile, you'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at Edit Your Life Show or send an email to EditYourLifeShow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening.
2: Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors who are also creative beings